Welcome back to the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. Hey, I'm Stacy, and this is Pete. We're coming at you live from that blanket fort. <laughs> <laughs> the lights are twinkling. They are. We are having a little fun this week. I mean, we normally have fun, but we decided to do Halloween in April. It has to be a new thing now. <laughs> Halloween in April. People do Christmas in July. We're doing Halloween in April. We're actually dressed up right now. We have masks on. <laughs> this is Halloween. This is Halloween. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs> so on that front, talking about Halloween. Yes. What comes along with Halloween? Scares and fears. Yeah. So what were some fears that you had as a child, founded or unfounded? <laughs> yeah, most of mine are irrational, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> the one that I think is pretty relatable for people is that I believed that Jaws lived in my pool. Yeah, I had the same fear. We've talked about that before, but I, I have the same exact pool fear. Yes, like he was in the deep end and only there at night. So we would have floodlights that caused these weird shadows on the pool. And I felt safe in the shallow end, yeah. but I would not go in the deep end at night. Or if I did, I was terrified the whole time. Mine was not as well thought out. Mine was at any point during the day, if I was in the pool alone <laughs> and I thought about it yeah. for like a half a millisecond, right? terror would set in. No matter where <laughs> I was in the pool, I would immediately like Donald duck it to the edge and get out. <laughs> Thinking that there was a shark snapping at my heels. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's kind of equivalent to anytime I'm coming upstairs from a basement, <laughs> I always think someone is chasing me up the stairs. Well, but. that ties in perfectly with one of mine. Oh, yeah? The fear of my oh. parents' basement. Yes. Now, in my defense, it was a really scary basement. It's like an old school, early 1900s basement. And it had a bunch of scary stuff down there. Like what? Like my stepdad had the statue, for lack of a better term, of like a cobra oh. fighting a mongoose, except it was like real life. Like the mongoose had fur. The oh. cobra looked like a cobra. That's it was terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. And there was just dark corners everywhere. It was a dank, dark basement and it was super scary <laughs> yeah i was always scared of mine too if i was alone yeah. it was our playroom so you know i was always down there with friends and there was like a pool table and ping pong table and yeah. just fun stuff our piano was down there and our you know a lot of our bigger toys like my barbie dream house was down there and stuff like that so i was down there a lot but if i ever had to go down by myself and it was dark i'm still this way <laughs> when i go to my mom's house there are no windows yeah in that basement so it's completely dark and I would just reach my hand around the corner and feel around for the light switch. <laughs> and I would like close my eyes as I was doing it. <laughs> when I would be leaving the basement, I would turn it out and then sprint up the stairs as fast as I could because I thought somebody was chasing me. But I had to turn the light out because right. I would be in trouble with my dad right. if I didn't turn the lights out. So I would also turbo it up the stairs. But we didn't have a playroom down there. It had like a giant ice chest 
It had the washer and dryer. It had my stepdad's workbench and then just like a bunch of junk. Yeah. And then I would turbo it. Anytime I went down there, I would turbo it up the stairs because it was like a split level staircase. So as soon as you turned the corner, you were safe Mm -hmm. because you were in the light again. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny how that is. Now, that's not my primary fear, though. Right. My primary fear was getting kidnapped. Yeah, that's right around the right time for it, right? With all the milk carton stuff. Yeah. And that's when everybody was talking about it more. I yeah. always thought any car I didn't recognize was about to kidnap me Yeah. for about three to four years. Huh. I don't feel like I thought about it that much. But I lived in like an offshoot neighborhood that yeah. wasn't really attached to other, you know, like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like there wasn't traffic going by my house, things like that. We had a good amount of traffic go by our house. Like it was a small town, but you'd always have cars going by that you didn't recognize. So I was sure most of them were there to kidnap me. Right. Throw me in their trunk. <laughs> That's more what I think about now <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> yeah. So my main fear is kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but I, I have to tell it. I don't know if I have I talked about it on here before. I feel like you have mentioned it very briefly, but you've never gone into depth with it. All right. I'm probably going to have bad dreams tonight now. Uh oh. <laughs> I'll show you some snakes later to count. Oh, it. no. <laughs> so mean. It's well, true. I, I want to take your mind off this. If I ever see anything of a snake, of anything we're watching on TV or whatever, if there's a snake that appears for just a little bit, it is guaranteed that I will dream about them that night. I almost did this to you yesterday because I was scrolling through Reddit for like two hours. You actually I, showed me something yesterday of a snake. Was it the greens? No, no, no. That was different. Was this was an actual snake, snake. That one I showed you was funny because some yeah, guy but was it like- puts it in my head. He was on a hike with his girlfriend and like created a fake snake that he like threw and attached to her backpack and was just like, oh my God, there's a snake chasing you. And so, so mean. it was funny. This was a snake like stretching its face. Ew. It was terrifying. And I was like, oh, I should show her that. And I was just like, no, don't show her that. Save it for later. Save it for later. Save it for later. Uh, At first, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Save it for later. (laughs) Get out of here. All right. Let's hear your story. All right. I don't know if anyone. It's kind of an obscure movie, I feel like. But if anyone has watched the movie, The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. I don't think I have. (laughs) Well, For whatever reason, I don't really remember anything about the movie, but I know that as a young kid, probably three or four years old, I started having dreams about her. (laughs) And I believed that she lived inside my wall. And I guess I thought that she was going to come get me. I don't know. I think I just had bad dreams about her all the time. Yeah. I would start to see her. My room was decorated with clowns, which some people would think that's super scary. So there were like these clown faces like on the wall and I would look at the faces at night and it would turn into her. And so I would sleep in my parents' room. And so they eventually just redecorated my room. (laughs) Now, (laughs) this sounds a lot like something that could have been a suggestion from an older sibling. Uh, I was really young. I'm not sure. Hopefully she wouldn't do that to me, but I don't know. I wouldn't put it past her, I guess. But I know you are to this day still pretty scared of the incredible shrinking woman. Well, I can't look at Lily Tomlin. Yeah. So like if she pops up on my TV screen, I have to look away. (laughs) I won't look at her. And you would be surprised how many times that she will pop up on your TV screen. It's just like like law of attraction. I swear. It's like you think about how much you don't want to see something, then you see it all the time. It's like, I hate onions and they're in everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like that. But 
Yeah, everybody talks about that show, Grace and Frankie, and how good it is. And I'm like, yeah, good on you. Never watching that. I don't know that it's I've ever watched. It's Jane Fonda. It's a Netflix show. Oh, okay. It's another thing. It's like, I wish that you could thumbs down something on Netflix so you don't see that ever. Maybe you can. You can. Oh, you can? I don't know if you never see it ever, but you can thumbs down something. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Don't mind me. <laughs> Let me go thumbs down that real quick. So since it's Halloween in April, we'll let you know the first movie we chose is Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. I love this movie. It's a fantasy comedy directed by Tim Burton. It's about a couple, Adam and Barbara Maitland who die and become ghosts and then haunt their own home. And then a crude and obnoxious poltergeist named Beetlejuice from the netherworld tries to scare away the Dietz family, who are the new owners of the house. That's basically it in a nutshell. I'm going to be honest. I really thought we covered this, but you're right. We didn't. No. I feel like we had done a lot of research on this movie. No. Previously. And I was just like, we already covered this. No, we just like mention it on the Halloween episode. Yeah. But it was so early on when we did the Halloween one that we didn't really focus in on anything. I'm glad we're getting to do a deep dive because this is a movie that I saw in the theaters. Yeah, it's a good one. It's one that I definitely watch every year, sometimes more than once. Yeah. So it stars Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. Beetlegeist. <laughs> Beetlegeist. 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 It's pronounced Beetlejuice. It is. <laughs> Every morning you greet me. Small Alec Baldwin as Adam Maitland. Who looks like... He looks like Billy or William Baldwin. He does. Back it's then, a, it's amazing yeah, how much they look, they look like alike. each other. I was always a fan of William more so than Alec. But what about Alec back then? I mean, yeah, he's cute. I mean, he was very, very hairy. Very hairy. <laughs> I didn't realize he had such a hairy chest. Yeah, because we saw some behind-the-scenes footage where he had like a low-cut T-shirt on, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was just all out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but hey, you should be proud of that. Wear it with pride. Gina Davis is Barbara Maitland. Haven't seen her in anything in a long time, I feel like. Yeah, that's a good call. I feel like she was the it girl for a little period. Then she kind of died off She a did a bit. lot of great movies. Yeah. I really like her. Me too. Jeffrey Jones as Charles Dietz, who sadly I learned. Got Not a, that great. Yeah. Yeah. Some pretty nasty things I've heard about him. Yeah. And a lot of movies back then. But yeah, yeah. Ferris Bueller. Howard the Duck. Unfortunate. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara as Delia Dietz. Queen, icon, legend, as Danny Pellegrino would say. I love her. She's so great. She is great. Winona Ryder as Lydia Dietz. Right. And this was pretty early on for Winona, right? Well, she was in Lucas. That's a good call. And that's why she got this job. I don't know Lucas. I used to rent Lucas. We talked about that in our last podcast. Just movies that we would rent a lot. That's another one that I would rent. All the time. On VHS? Yes. It was in 86, but it starred uh, Corey Haim, Carrie Green, who played Andy in The Goonies, Charlie Sheen, Winona Ryder. I feel like I've seen this. It's sounding familiar, but we might have to watch it and cover it. Yeah, we should. It's funny because I... Oh, it also had Courtney Thorne-Smith. Who? Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven in 86? How old was he? 
I don't know. It's not like he's so much younger. You think he's younger than Corey Haim? Jeremy Piven? I've got no frame of reference. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Piven is like the same age as John Cusack. Who is? <laughs> how old? Well, how old do you think John Cusack is right now? He's probably in his 52. 50s. Yeah. Probably I think how old Jeremy, Jeremy Piven, Piven is. is 47. Let me just see. It's funny. You pull up Jeremy Piven and you immediately see a picture of John Cusack. <laughs> 1965 is when he was born. Who? Pivs. Pivs was born in 65. Yeah. So he is 55, about to turn 56, depending on when his birthday is. There you go. All right. Now I need to know how old John Cusack is. He's actually older than John Cusack. Is he really? John Cusack is 54, born in 66. Dang. All right. Listen, you learn something every day. I knew where I was going with that. Thank you for saving me (laughs) from the vice principal's office. You're welcome. You did it live on air. I appreciate it. I'm doing it live. Do it live. <laughs> All right. So we also have Sylvia Sidney as Juno, Robert Gouillet as Maxie Dean, Dick Cavett as Bernard, Glenn Shaddix as Otho. Good old Otho. Annie McEnroe as Jane Butterfield. And Tony Cox was the preacher. So some fun facts. We watched a few documentaries and learned some things that I didn't know. We did. Some of this I did know and some of it I didn't. So the original script was actually meant to be a horror film, Mm -hmm. like along the vein of Nightmare on Elm Street. Beetlejuice was going to be a winged demon. He's a demon. (laughs) But then in human form, he was going to be, quote, a small Middle Eastern man. Mm. Interesting. Warner Brothers wanted to call it House Ghost and then Tim Burton was joking and said, oh, we should call it Scared Sheetless. And they're like, Tim, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, I was kidding. Yeah, I think he was like, oh, shh. Like, I do not want to call it Scared Sheetless. So eventually he got his way and they called him Beetlejuice. Now, Angelica Houston was originally cast to play Delia Dietz, but she got sick. So Tim Burton had to talk Catherine O'Hara into the role. And I think Angelica would have been good, but when I think of her, I just think of Morticia Adams at this point. So I'm like, yeah. And I just think of Catherine as Delia. So. Same here, but I have this huge crush on Angelica Houston. As Morticia, though. As Morticia. Yeah. So I want to see her as Morticia in as many things as I can. <laughs> well, that's a Delia is a little different than Morticia. I'm just picturing Morticia in this movie. <laughs> Now, that's a different kind of movie, but I like it. She's just standing there. I mean, it's like, not like it can't all flow together. Her arms are folded and she's shaming everyone as they're <laughs> as they're dancing around and she's not. <laughs> <laughs> they have no power over her. That's right. So a lot of people turned down the role of Lydia. Yeah. Lori Laughlin, Diane Lane, SJP, Sarah Jessica Parker, Justine Bateman, Brooke Shields, Molly Ringwald, Jennifer Connelly. And Juliette Lewis actually auditioned, but Tim loved Winona's role in Lucas. And so that's really what got her the part. It's funny, like, how important casting directors are mm-hmm. to a movie. Yeah. Because Winona is perfect. She is perfect. Now, if they had cast any of those other actresses, maybe they would have been great. It just would have been different. So you don't know what you would have gotten. Yeah, I always find it interesting to think about who else they were considering for roles, you know, and trying to picture them in that role. Like, I can't imagine Molly Ringwald doing that, especially after, because this would have been after doing, you know, Breakfast Club and and Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink and all of that. Although it would have been interesting to see her branch out and be a little goth girl. Yeah. (laughs) 
But I think it was nice because Winona wasn't that known at the time. So you just were able to just take her in and fully accept her as Lydia. I had a big crush on Winona Ryder back then. So yeah. it was like this movie and Dracula. Yeah. She was really hot in Dracula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, she was, to me, like a big 90s it girl. Yeah. Yeah. So the score was by Danny Elfman, who was incredible. But the soundtrack also features a lot of R&B and Calypso songs, and they use those to just make the movie feel more fun and playful. Yeah, it adds a lot to the movie. It really does. From a mood standpoint. Just the vibe, yeah. And, yeah. and not something you would actually ever think to play in this setting, but it works. It does work. And like one of the people on one of the documentaries had said, it kind of makes the film more timeless. Yeah, like it doesn't, they used an example of Princess songs in the Batman movie yeah, kind of ties it to that time mm-hmm. where that's not really happening here. These are like timeless songs that aren't like pop songs of an era. That used to be my dream job. Yeah. Finding the right songs to play in a show or movie. In a show or movie. Finding You'd have been great at it. You would have been fantastic at it. Thank you. It's one of my favorite things and I'm notorious for shazamming songs and mm-hmm. movies and TV shows that I don't know and I always pay attention to that kind of stuff. You do. In the original script, they had Lydia lip syncing when a man loves a woman. woman. Instead of shake, senora. Shake, 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 senora. Shake your body liner. Shake, 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 senora. Shake it all the time. Okay. It's a good switch because that's a really good part of the movie. Well, yeah. And also, When a Man Loves a Woman is absolutely opposite of anything Lydia would ever be singing. Right. <laughs> so it, it fits it just, a lot better. It doesn't fit at all. This I thought was really interesting that Tim Burton's original choice for Beetlejuice was Sammy Davis Jr., who was so 63 at the time. Interesting that that was his original choice. And on the documentary we watched, it's just like, what would that have been like? I'm curious to see what it would have been like just in like one scene. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to imagine him with a green wig, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, maybe he could have pulled it off. Maybe. I, I don't want to discount him. But Michael Keaton was kind of, I think, confused by the the script and the idea altogether, but he really liked Tim Burton and he was just curious about him, and so he wanted to work with him. So that's why he took the role. And Tim Burton gave Michael Keaton the freedom to find Beetlejuice's look. Which is, if Keaton either decided or helped decide that look, it's perfect. Beetlejuice looks perfect. He definitely wanted to have that big, crazy hair. Yeah. And I think, you know, the mold on his face and stuff like that. And I think Tim was very pleased when he saw him for the first time in his hair and makeup. So test audiences wanted a happier ending. So I guess originally Beetlejuice just got either eaten or stranded with the sandworms. Yeah. But they wanted him to get punished. They just didn't want it to be so severe. So they switched to the ending where he's in the waiting room and his head gets shrunken. Yeah, because he's trying to cut the line. He's trying to cut the line, right? (laughs) So it's like, that's a really good ending to it compared to Beetlejuice being stranded with the sandworms. And you kind of know his fate at that point. Right. When his head is shrunken, shrank, shrank, shrunk, shrunk, shrunk. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he 
you know, is like, oh, this might be a good look for me. You yeah. know, so he just is rolling with it. And it helps everybody kind of leave the movie not feeling like sad that yeah. this <laughs> character that I don't think you're really supposed to like, but you end up liking. You do. You know, you don't want him to be. You don't want to see him hurt. <laughs> not my poor little Beetlejuice. <laughs> so there was an animated series. Did you ever watch it? Yes, I watched it every week. It's so great. It is. We rewatched a couple episodes and recently I shared the intro and people really seem to respond to that. Did they? On our social media. Nice. Yeah. It's just so good. And it's always fun to see like things that you felt like were a little more obscure, obscure like you're the only person that yeah. knew about it. And then you find all these other people that loved it too. Right. We just mentioned the sandworms. Mm -hmm. So there's like that whole scene. Anytime they go outside the house, originally outside the house was just like this darkness. Right. With these gears flying all around, ready to run you over when you come into their space. It's just so weird. Yeah. But not, not like the sandworms aren't weird, but it's It's, it's a much so better different. idea. It is way different, but a much better idea. Yeah. There's actually test footage of it and you're just like, you know, the random sand planet looks a lot better. It does look a lot better. And even though none of it really makes sense, it does seem a little more logical than just like this dark space with random gears flying everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So this I actually knew. Oh, you did? Yes. But it still blows my mind that Beetlejuice is actually only in the movie for 17 minutes. That is so crazy to me. I paused it today when he made his first big entrance and it was... 45, 46 minutes into the right. movie. It's crazy. Well, and if you look at the cover, it's like Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. And yeah. they don't even mention Gina Davis or Alec Baldwin. Or exactly. Ben, and they're, they're actors that people knew of at the time. That It's like they're just talking about Beetlejuice and he's barely in the movie. Like it's definitely to me more about Adam and Barbara and like Lydia. You know, like I just think of them. Not that I don't think of Beetlejuice, but it's definitely not just about him you know it's not but yeah you're right though like even the the box art you're talking about you can't really tell who anybody else is like that doesn't look like alec baldwin to me <laughs> they're like drawn versions of them yeah but beetlejuice looks like beetlejuice yes so there are still rumors of a beetlejuice 2 yes which have persisted from the time that this first one came out until now there's an imdb page yeah. there and originally, I think Tim Burton had planned it, and it was going to be set in Hawaii, where the Deets open a new hotel, and the island doesn't like it, and starts haunting them, and yada, yada, yada. Beetlejuice Bizarre. is like a, yeah, he's, I can't remember what they called it, but he's like a devil juice or something. <laughs> I forget what it is. I can't remember what they said it was. He's like this big volcano oh, it's god. Like, uh, something to do with like Lucifer, some play on Lucifer. Lucid juice. <laughs> Lucid juice. <laughs> oh god. That is not right. I'm that going is to the not office. It. I'm going to the office. <laughs> Lucid juice. So when they're in the waiting room, the magician's assistant, you know, you see the top half of her body and then she's separated from the bottom half of her body. Mm. So the bottom half of her body, those legs, <laughs> that was actually Tim Burton's girlfriend at the time. So Michael Keaton's rubbing up on her thighs. <laughs> and trying it, to lift her dress up. Yeah. And it's <laughs> Tim Burton's girlfriend. Yeah. And so you have the name Beetlejuice. Yes. Which is not spelled like it is on the cover. Right. It's actually like... B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. -E -E, yes. Which is how you spell the name of the star, Beetlejuice. But they changed it because it was 
funnier and probably better for marketing to say right. beetle juice. Because you can't help but look at it and want to be like, beetle goose, beetle goose. Should we cover the sound of music? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so what are your favorite moments? I'm actually curious. I know we do this every week, but I try not to look at what you write down until we get here. I love the miniature town that Adam was building. I love it too. I just love that that's how the movie starts. Is, yeah. You know, you're going through the town. And it's just so well done. And I've always loved building models. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it in a very long time, mm-hmm. but I used to do it a lot. I'm not any good at it, but I always had the dream of doing like a town like that. Some kind of diorama. I just love that. It fascinates me. Number two, when Beetlejuice is doing that commercial for his bio exorcism service, <laughs> and then that part at the end, which I'm about to play right now. And remember, I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. So come on down now. Chew on a dog. Oh! I just love that. <laughs> I don't know what I'll he chew says. chew on a dog. <laughs> He's going to chew on a dog. <laughs> I just have always loved that part. It's funny. It's so random. And then next up, when Beetlejuice gets all, quote unquote, thorny, <laughs> so Barbara will drop him. Yes. He's just so proud of himself after that happens. But then he like sticks in the <laughs> He does. He's like turf. stuck in the turf. <laughs> I just love it. That's good stuff. So my HMs. I love how the house is redecorated when the Dietzes move in. Yeah. I really love their style. I loved it when I first saw it. I was just like, wow, I want a house like that. You would. You really are into that. I am. I mean, I like modern, but it's a little beyond modern. I saw it today and I was like, wow, I really like that. (laughs) I did like their bar. Yeah. Red bar. And their table, their like dinner table. Oh, Um, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh, but... My babe would like that. That's a bit of me. It's <laughs> a bit of you. <laughs> Another HM, I love the smoking guy in the waiting room. Yes. He just, anytime I see him, he just cracks me up. He's just got this look. He's just so like casual. He's just like, yeah, I accept it. I've died from smoking. And hey, do you want to smoke? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought from a makeup and like a character standpoint or puppet, whatever he was. Yeah. He was just really well done. Agree. And then the very end scene when Lydia is dancing at the staircase always just brings me joy. Jump in the line. And the football team joins her. Yes. I just love it. It always makes me smile. Me too. That was one of my gems as well. Ooh. So I'll just go ahead and leave leave that there. It's fine. Not sorry. (laughs) Because I had to pull one of my next movie's HMs off for you. So you're welcome. Oh, thank you. All right, number one for me. Dale. Dale. That whole scene at the table where Barbara and Adam are making the deets. They possess them all. They're possessing them and their dinner guests. And they're all dancing and singing along to the banana boat song, Dale. And I feel like they all did a really good job of like their facial expressions as their bodies are moving, like looking like what is happening and why am I moving like this? But then they go back and forth from confusion to enjoying it yeah. and getting down. And they're then, in the moment. They're like, what? How did I get here? And then you're like, wait, what? why am I doing this? 
it's so entertaining. And it's always been, to me, like the most memorable thing from the movie. Yeah. Loved it as a kid and love it now. And then, of course, the big, <laughs> I mean, it is scary when like the shrimp hand I comes up. When the shrimp and knocks pulls them all, all their down. faces in there and then just throws them on the floor. <laughs> it's like terrifying and hilarious yeah. all in one. Number two, the things in the beginning where Adam and Barbara are trying to scare the Dietz family. Yeah. Barbara's hanging in the closet. And then at one point they've got Adam's head head and she's got a big knife and stuff and nobody sees them. And, but you'll see them like kind of react for a second and you think they see it, but then they actually, they're just talking about like the wallpaper or something. Atrocious. (laughs) (laughs) And then later on in the movie, when they go to meet with Juno, and she's trying to help them figure out how to get them out of the house. She's like she's previewing their scare abilities. Yeah, she's like, show me how you're going to scare them. And they both do the thing, you know, where they like stretch their faces and do weird things. They pull their eyeballs out. I stuff. love that scene. Yeah. yeah, like Gina Davis is flipping her eyeballs out. I love her face the most where it's like this big open mouth and the eyeballs are on the tongue. Yeah. It's so good. And I think you can get those masks for Halloween. And I really really want us to do that. Oh, wow. That would be so good. (laughs) Although I don't know how you're going to be able to see. I don't know how they give you eye holes and all of that. It's got to have it. It's It's a health problem if you don't. So they can't release it without that. (laughs) True, true. And then three, I love Lydia and how she's just very, you know, dark and gothy. Very brooding. <laughs> yes. When she's talking with Barbara and Adam and they're like, you can't see us. And she's like, I read your book, the handbook for the recently deceased, you know, and she's like. <laughs> the recently they, diseased. <laughs> diseased, yeah. <laughs> Where it says that live people ignore the strange and unusual. And she's like. I myself am strange and unusual. She's like, oh, okay. So that's why you can see us. Yeah. Makes sense. I love that. Yeah. And I think it also speaks to a lot of people who feel like maybe they're a little strange and unusual too, you know? And maybe that's not such a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. HMs. I love Lydia's red wedding dress. It's incredible, isn't it? It's so good. With her black hair? Yes. (laughs) Yes, her black hair. I think her black hair is the contrast to the red that makes it. You love a good contrast. I do. That's another costume that I've always wanted to do. Oh, that'd be good. But friends of ours did that, so I feel like I can't, I feel like I don't want to copy, you know? That'd be a good costume to do. I would like to do that costume. You in the the suit with the ruffle shirt. Ooh, can I do like the stripy suit? No, if we're doing the wedding outfit, then you would do like the burgundy suit. Oh, he's got the burgundy one. That's right. Yeah, good call. We're just here planning our Halloween costumes. There we go. We have five planned already. (laughs) And again, back to the waiting room. I just love everything about it. All the strange people that are there and it's very dark and, you know, a lot of death talk. And it's funny to think about me as a child watching that. Right. It was fascinating and I still love it. Yeah. That waiting room was something else. There was so much going on there. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. It is. That was so fun. It was fun. I love Beetlejuice. 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 (gasps) Here he comes. You know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids picked me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come on. No. Come on. No. 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 So you called this my movie. What's your movie? My movie is from 1984, a little bit before your time. Before my time? <laughs> I was five. You were five years old. You were not watching this movie. I was watching this movie. You were watching this movie when yes. it came out? I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I, I definitely probably didn't either. It was too watched early it for as me a too. kid. 1984, it is Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters! Something strange 
amazing song. It is a great song. It still makes me so happy every time I hear it. So this movie is basically about some former professors who set up a ghost removal service. And after they do all of this work, they rid New York of all these ghosts. They get thrown in jail by the EPA, which is very Reagan era. (laughs) Yeah. But then as soon as they're in there, trouble ensues. And there's this big downtown skyscraper right outside of Central Park West that is infested with ghosts and an ancient god named Gozer. So the Ghostbusters have to come out of jail. The mayor releases them. Because who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. (laughs) So they come out, save the day. They blast the 100-foot-tall Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yes, they do. And they save the day, and everybody's good in the end. Yay! Yay! It's <laughs> such a fun movie. It is. It is directed by Ivan Reitman, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, mm-hmm. starring Bill Murray as Dr. Peter Venkman, Dan Aykroyd as Dr. Raymond Stance, Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett, Ernie Hudson as Winston Zeddemore, I think is how you say it. Sounds about right. Harold Ramis as Dr. Egon Spengler, who sadly passed away in 2014. So sad. Rick Moranis as Louis Tully. Annie Potts as Janine Melnitz. And William Atherton as Walter Peck. So some fun facts about this movie. Both Chevy Chase and Michael Keaton turned down the role of Dr. Peter Venkman. Oh, wow. Now, Venkman was originally written for John Belushi, but of course he had passed away by then. Yeah, but I could see him in that role, even though I love Bill Murray so much. I I could see him doing that. Yeah. On set, Dan Aykroyd referred to Slimer as the ghost of John Belushi. Oh. Because he would like eat everything and he was just causing chaos. Oh, I love that. Now, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Egon Spengler. Oh, wow. Yeah. And on that front, Eddie Murphy and John Candy both turned down main roles. Eddie Murphy said no because he was doing Beverly Hills Cop, and John Candy turned it down for other reasons. I don't know what his reasons were. Yeah, wasn't he supposed to play... Lewis. Lewis, yeah. He was supposed to play Lewis. That would have been a completely different Lewis. Yeah, a sure. Probably a funny Lewis, but a differently funny Lewis. <laughs> yeah, well, they're both great. They are. And so, I mean, to me, Bill Murray makes this movie. Agree. But he only agreed to star in it because they offered him the opportunity to star in a different movie that he'd wanted to do, like a pet project of his. Oh. And most of his lines in the movie are ad-libbed. I love that so much. I do too. He is so funny. He is. And they said 40% of the lines in this entire movie were ad-libbed, which is just great. That's like all Second City stuff where you just come up with it on the fly. Right. Sigourney Weaver gave a unique audition. She did a wordless scene where she turned into one of the Gozer dogs. And allegedly she was writhing around on the couch and like loudly snarling at Reitman. (laughs) So he was impressed, if not a little scared. And then she got the part. I wish there was footage of that. Me too. I that would is love to something see it. To I can actually to. picture it in my head though. Yeah. Because she does such a good job. She does. Like when she's possessed that I can I can totally see it. Am I the only one that found Sigourney Weaver like really hot in that movie? I highly doubt that you're the only one. I really liked Sigourney in it. I mean, I think she's hot in it. Yeah. <laughs> the original trailer featured a one eight hundred number, not a five 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 number, which led to a pre recording of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. They got a thousand calls per hour, twenty four hours a day. 
for six weeks. I love that. I wish they had an answering machine where you could hear <laughs> what people were leaving as a message. Yes. That would have been amazing. I just think that's so fun. I miss the 80s. <laughs> like just do some fun stuff with like a random phone number. Yes. So this was interesting to me. The marshmallow goo that explodes onto the EPA guy mm-hmm. is actually 50 pounds of shaving cream. Oh, what? 50 pounds. And also the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man suits each cost 20 grand. They made three of them and all three were destroyed during filming. Did you see, like, how did they make that thing? I have not looked at that. I actually thought when I was writing this part down, I was like, I need to go see how they filmed. Well, didn't they? I feel like they had also like a model, like a diorama type thing. Because I remember seeing footage of them shooting something that had a small version of him going through the town. So I bet that's how they did a lot of that. I wonder if the scenes where so tall. you can see his like face and mouth like yeah. all emoting. Because uh-huh. he's actually, he puts forth a lot of sass. <laughs> he's very sassy. He is super sassy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like all smiley till he's not. Till he's not. <laughs> now, I found this interesting. So the theme song for Ghostbusters was written by Ray Parker Jr., And it was number one for three weeks that year. It was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but lost to Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You. Oh, I love that song so much. Now I love both the songs. They both deserve an award. They do. They're both very good songs. Huey Lewis sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism. Oh. Because the songs had a similar bass line. Compared to Huey Lewis's I Want a New Drug. And Huey Lewis said, you copied this song and it got settled out of court. Now, in a 2004 article, the filmmakers admitted to using the song I Want a New Drug as temporary background music in many scenes. Oh, wow. also noted they had offered to hire Huey Lewis in the news to write the main theme song, but the band declined. The filmmakers gave the footage with the Huey Lewis song in the background to Ray Parker Jr., to aid him in writing the theme song. Oh, wow. So they got busted. They did. It just makes me think when, have you ever seen the footage of Vanilla Ice talking about how he was accused of plagiarism with Ice Ice Baby sounding like, was it another one bites the under dust? Under pressure. Right? Under pressure. No, under, no, no. I think it is under pressure. It sounded like another song. Under pressure. For sure. And he's like, ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 That little bitty change. It's not the same. Which is different, I guess. But boy, do they sound similar. Yeah, they do. Now, this is one of my favorite things to cover. I love covering box office numbers, but Ghostbusters was the highest grossing comedy of all time until Home Alone supplanted it in 1990. Oh, wow. It made $240 million domestically in 1984, which today would be about $580 million. That's huge. Super It huge. was such a big... I mean, I remember... I was very young, but I remember a lot of hoopla around it. Yeah. And I think it cost, at the time, like $30 million to make, which means it cost about $60 million in today's dollars. Wow. So Bill Murray didn't make any money off of Ghostbusters. Rather than take a paycheck for it, he negotiated with Columbia Pictures to finance his personal pet project, which I mentioned earlier, a remake of a movie called The Razor's Edge. 
<laughs> which also was released in 1984. It was a complete bomb. Oh, no. Yeah, it was made on a budget of like $12 million. It grossed $6 million or something <gasps> like that and was not successful. So he really missed out. So does he not money. make money to this day, like on residuals and stuff? I guess not. I don't know. <gasps> Holy crap. Yeah. Good thing he has a lot of other hits. He does have a lot of other hits. <laughs> I love Bill Murray. I've talked about it on here before. I, I mean, he's one of my... Absolute favorites. Absolutely. What's that zombie movie? Zombieland. Zombieland. I started to say Adventureland. <laughs> I love him in Zombieland. Like, he has such a small role, mm-hmm. but it just makes the movie. It's so incredible. Doesn't he play himself? He does. Yeah. I always hear really nice stories about people's interactions with Bill Murray. Do you really? Yeah. I hadn't heard like, that. Like, to this day. I hadn't looked for it, so I don't know. Oh, you should look it up sometime because it's- That's good to know. There's a lot of good stuff. I yeah. like that. It's like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. It's these guys competing for like the nicest guy in Hollywood, hopefully. (laughs) I like that. So originally the proton packs, you know how they had kind of like guns? Yeah. Those were originally wands. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'm imagining like Harry Potter (laughs) Ghostbusters. They were changed to guns to make it more believable. (laughs) That's definitely more believable. uh, I would have loved to have seen test footage of that. They're like witches and warlocks. Do you remember in the beginning of the movie when they're in the library? Yes. And Bill Murray gets some of that stuff on his hands. Yeah. So that is actually methyl silos, which is Chinese food starch. Oh. So that's I was the wondering slime. what they yeah. made that with. Because it looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> it looks real weird. Looks inappropriate. It does look very inappropriate. <laughs> So, you know, the uh, Ecto-1, the Ectomobile? Yes. They only made one of those because they rushed this production. They had to get it done very quickly. They only built one of them. Wow. And it worked for the majority of the scenes. And then it eventually broke down because it was like a 1959 car. It broke down. Luckily, it was late in production, but they had no more moving shots of the car after that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) thankfully, they didn't have like some big scene they were supposed to shoot where they're like flying around town. So for years... After the film's release, William Atherton, who plays Walter Peck, the EPA guy, he would get physically and verbally abused out in public. People hated him. Wow. It got to the point where he was involved in a number of altercations, like when he was out in a bar, oh, like no. people want to fight him and stuff like it. Just like, Dude, it's a movie. It's a movie. I'm a character. I play a character. Like, stop beating me up. You know, I feel like that's something that's probably a lot different now. Yeah. Because back then, you didn't have... You never saw them. Yeah, you didn't really see as them people. as people, as the celebrities that they were. You see their characters. Right. And it's not like, I mean, tabloids and magazines were a thing, but. This guy probably wasn't in them. Right. And it's not like today where you can go on Instagram and see Him what Bill Murray had wife. for breakfast or, or whatever. Right. And this guy's at his pool, like hanging out and like, you know, throwing a ball with his kids or something. Yeah. Where you can differentiate between the character and the person. And also, if it's an actor who hasn't done a lot of other recognizable roles, you really do just pigeonhole him into that one role. I guess. But it's like, you but should it's know. It's not an excuse. Even in 1984, but, yeah. you should know this is just a role. You should, but a role. it's just a different time. I hope he slapped those people right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hit those favorite moments. What you got for me? <laughs> okay. So I love when Dana Sigourney Weaver is possessed, like we talked about. And I just love the way that Bill plays off of that. Right. All the things that she's doing and the little things that he's saying. And like, I should, I shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. And it's basically like he's having a conversation with himself. Right. You know, 
And when she's like, I want you inside me. He's like, oh, there might be a couple people in there already. Yeah, there's not enough room. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think I appreciate it so much now because that's humor that I definitely did not get as a five-year-old. Me either. Well, as a eight-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Way more mature than you. (laughs) So mature. So much more mature than you. (laughs) Okay. Again, something that I wouldn't have picked up on as a child. It's the scene where they're at the mayor's office and Ray says, everything was fine until the grid was shut down by Dickless here. And then Walter is like, they caused an explosion. And the mayor is like, is this true? And Peter goes, yes, sir, it's true. This man has no dick. It just makes me laugh every time when he does it. It's true, sir. This man has no dick. Uh, there are probably so many other moments I could have chosen, but it just makes me laugh every time I, I have to do it. I had to take that one off my list <laughs> when I went and looked at yours. And then number three, the end when they all come out of the apartment building and everyone is there cheering for them. Like, yeah. they're, I mean, they were already considered celebs, but now it's like even more. Although it annoys me because Dana has the marshmallow all over her head. <laughs> she shouldn't. And she shouldn't because she, she was inside the dog statue at she the time. She was in the dog at that point, yeah. And we were like, well, maybe it fell off of the building onto Could her be. head. Yeah. But it just didn't flow, and I don't like that. I don't like it either. I would have liked to have seen the marshmallow fall on her head. Right. If she's going to wear it. When it was falling it. on dickless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she shouldn't get the glory of having that marshmallow on her head without us having seen how it happened. That was a fun scene, though. But it that. is fun. And it's a, it's just like, you know, the end of the movie and they're running credits and all yeah. of that. And I just really love it. HMs. I like the section of the movie where we see like all the headlines of the newspapers and the magazine covers and stuff that they're on. So yeah. we're seeing just the montage of them blowing up. More and more famous. Yes. And then also, I really like the first scene in Dana's kitchen, which, first of all, we're just really obsessed with details now. Yeah. Where we're like, what kind of cereal does she have? I was noticing the salad dressing in her refrigerator. It was like sour cream and- uh, It was sour cream and Italian dressing or something. It was like- It was, it was like sour cream and something. It was, But it wasn't onion. It was like a combination right. that we're not familiar with, but it was like a wishbone version. Right. But as she's putting her groceries away and everything, and then, you know, it's the first signs of her having a ghost and her egg carton like opens and all the eggs start popping out and then they're like frying on her counter we were talking just about how they made the eggs do that that. i would love to see the making of that (laughs) it's so random but i want to see it i always paid attention to to like the stuff she was pulling out of her bag for some reason you're like celery yeah celery eggs can't remember the rest of the stuff i had it all written down but i i pulled it off because this was one of your hms oh i'm sorry so i I should have kept it on there but that always interested me like the stuff she was pulling out of her bag yeah glad we're on the same page there oh yeah we love to see people's groceries we do okay for me the shock card game at the beginning, the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. So Venkman keeps shocking the dude, even though he's getting some of them right (laughs) and never shocks the girl and keeps telling her she's right. It just always cracks me up. Look, he knows what he wants. He does. Number two. So this is kind of a step on what you said, but when Dana is floating in her bedroom in that scene, Uh it was just so like sexy, scary. Yes, it is for sure. (laughs) But it used to scare me so much when she started to make all of that noise and talk in her scary voice. Demon voice. Yeah, her demon voice. And then she'd float over the bed. It was really scary. It was scary. Like those dogs used to scare me. She used to scare me. Uh 
when uh, Lewis's eyes turned red, it used to terrify me. But I didn't know until today that Ivan Reitman did the voice for when Dana was possessed. Oh, that's fun. It's so great because he's such like a nice, <laughs> yeah, mild mannered so person. Nice, yeah. It's so great that he did that. But that scene always spoke to me. <laughs> I bet it did. And then I love how upset the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man is when they blast him with the proton packs, even though that's not what they were called back then. But his face, he is so betrayed because he just looks like he's coming up to have like the biggest kegger party with them. He's coming up to the top of the building to rage he's party. He's like, get wrecked. Yeah, he's like, get wrecked. And they blast him and his feelings are so hurt. He's like, man. Yeah, I mean, his he emotes so much on his face. Just like, oh. <laughs> I always felt so bad for him. I wanted him to live in New York City forever. But he would have destroyed them. He would have, I guess. Although, wouldn't he be like soft and squishy? Like, I mean, he's a marshmallow. Well, I don't know. But I mean, if he's possessed by something. I guess so. You know, it could take on whatever you think about. I just so. like that guy. I liked him. I like him too. I To this day, like I see him and he makes me happy. I don't think of him as being bad. Yeah, same here. All right, HMs for me. It's this tiny little part outside of Dana's orchestra practice. Yes. And Venkman's been there like talking to her and stuff like that, hitting on her. But it's like this section where the camera pulls way out and you see this random performer spinning outside of this fountain and you see Venkman see him or Bill Murray see him uh-huh. and decides to start spinning as well. <laughs> it always just made me happy for some yeah, reason. I don't I know that. why, but I just love it. And especially knowing that I'm sure that was just. Yeah, he just he saw just the person spinning. It. He's like, hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. So when Ray tries to blast Slimer in the very beginning, when they first go to that hotel. Yeah. And he just wrecks the entire hallway trying to shoot him (laughs) doesn't hit him just like destroys that whole hallway yep i love that i love how destructive they are and they go down to that ballroom and just destroy it (laughs) getting this one small ghost i mean absolutely wreck everything don't cross the streams don't cross the streams and finally hm wise for me lewis's slash rick moranis's party in his apartment it's just so 80s to me. It is so like 80s. opulent 80s. And they say that that whole scene was pretty much all ad-libbed. Oh, fun. Which is great. But I just love everything in there. Like Rick Moranis to me is so funny. I, I hate that he retired. I get why he did, but yeah. he's just so funny he's to great. me. He's great. Yeah. But I love that scene. Do we get to see him on Prop Wars? Not Prop Wars. Yeah, we saw prop, him on a special where he was talking prop about- culture. Prop culture, where he was talking about the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids gun. Yes. And it was exciting to get to see him again. It was. That's on Disney Plus, I think. It is. Yeah. All right. That's it for Ghostbusters. I'm so glad we got to cover it. I know. These are both so much fun. And that's what they are, too. They're so much fun. They're fun movies. Yeah, like they're kind of scary. Yeah. But even as a young child, you loved it. Yeah. Even if it scared you a little bit. Absolutely. I'm glad we didn't wait till October. We got a lot to cover in October. Yes, we do. All right. Songs from 1984 Mm -hmm. and 1988. Ooh, okay. Because these are the years that the movies came out. All right. I'm going cheap on the first one. 1984, I loved... The Ghostbusters theme. I'm sorry. I did. Don't be sorry. I loved it too. It's huge. Play it again. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I 
afraid of no ghosts. Man, I love that song. <laughs> we should listen to it every day in the morning to get us ready to go. We should. Pep in our stuff. That is a good pump up song. Followed closely by, if I can't choose this song because we watched the movie, I would go with Jump by Van Halen. Okay, that's it for me for 84. What do you have? Speaking of songs that you should listen to first thing in the morning. Yeah. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. Wake me up before you go-go. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. Wake me up before you go-go. I don't want to miss it when you hit that high. Wow, good call. I think this was one of the first songs as a young kid that I would hear and recognize it as this is a fun, happy song. This is yeah. a song you want to hear when you want to be in a good mood and you want to smile. Or you want to pop your mouser size in and get your leotards on. <laughs> <laughs> or that. Or that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 1988. 1988 for me would be Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. This was a tough choice, but this is a great song from 88. It is a good one. It's so funny when you look through at these songs and you're just like, all of these I still listen to pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. there was. I went through the top 50 and I was like, well, I've got like 10 that I could choose. Yes. So I narrowed it down to this one, but it was tough. Yeah. Both of the ones I picked this week were very fun pop songs. So mine from 88 is Locomotion by Kylie Minogue. Everybody's doing a break. It's, of course, a cover, but who cares? It's great either way. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's so much fun. I feel like I remember this one, like, being at my friend Leah's house and, like, dancing to it in the playroom. Okay. Just a good time. I like that. Yeah. Time to bring it on down. Bring it on down to Cozy Club. Cozy Club. <laughs> it's that time to relax, snuggle up, and I'm going to read to you some things that people have written into us about what makes them feel cozy, memories that they have, or things that they do now. So Jen wrote, and I felt this was fitting since we're doing Halloween in mm-hmm. April, those trick-or-treat buckets McDonald's would put Happy Meals in around Halloween time. Oh, do yeah. Do you remember those? I do, yeah. They're very nostalgic. They are. I've had several people send those to me. A lot of people send me stuff, you know, they think I'm I'm not thinking of it or something like that or just suggestions. Right. And I just always love seeing them. Did you use those to go trick-or-treating? I did not. I know those, but I did not use them. I feel like I used the version before those. I think I always used the bags that they would give me at school, probably because I felt like I could hold more or something. But I did love getting these. And I feel like I would keep my candy in them, though, like yeah. once I got them home. Okay. If that makes sense. But it they does. had the pumpkin, the ghost, the Frankenstein. There's a lot of good ones. I'm looking at pictures of them now. <laughs> it makes me happy. So thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Abraham wrote, waking up super early so I could have the Nintendo to myself. 
I like that. Do you relate to that at all? Absolutely. Did you have to fight over the Nintendo when everybody was awake? Later on, I did. Like, if you wanted to use that, you had to get up early for it. That's funny. I guess my sister and I are so far apart in age that I never really had to fight over it. Like, it was in my bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) And then I don't have a name for this person, but I love their handle. It's, um, you know... And I also related to what they said, because this is something I think they do in current times. Watching Gilmore Girls under my fuzzy blanket. And Gilmore Girls is such a cozy show. Like, I always want to watch it in the fall around Halloween. It's the best, like, cuddly, cozy show I could think of. Is that one you have on DVD? Yes. I feel like even the opening of the DVD would be comforting as well. It is. I used to go to sleep to it. Did you really? Yeah. I just love even like just the music, the score is also good. Yeah. It's so good. I did think of something that I wanted to share. I noticed that I do. Okay. Sometimes for self-care in current times, we're home all the time mm-hmm. due to COVID and just working from home. And I don't have a reason really to put on makeup or do my hair or anything, but at least probably four to five days out of the week, yeah, I still take the time to do my makeup. You do. And fix my hair. Even if I still will wear my robe all day <laughs> or pajamas all day, I will be cozy but while still up. feeling pretty. Yes. And it's not that I, you know, you always make me feel beautiful if I have makeup on or not, if my you hair's are. in a bun on top of my head or not. I love your hair in a bun. Thank you. But it just makes me feel good. I feel like it's time that I'm taking to like do something to myself to make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And I love to either listen to music or a podcast while I'm doing it. And I just feel like it's really good me time. I love it. So I was just thinking that's definitely a part of my self-care routine. I like that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Anything from you this week or no? Still haven't done your homework. I did do my homework, but just in a different form than it would take for you. Yeah, but that's not your homework. Your homework was that you were going to try to meditate. Well, that's what I'm saying is I feel like I did. I put in some white noise. I've downloaded a white noise. Oh, you did? Okay, I'm sorry. Now, I worked while I was doing white noise, but I was able to really concentrate on what I was doing. I wasn't doing stressful stuff. Yeah. You know, I was doing more paperwork kind of things, but it really helped me concentrate on what I was doing and calm me down in the mornings. So I liked it. It's not the exact form that it would take for you. Right. And I'm sure doing it in the proper form would probably be better. But I did at least give it an attempt. That's nice. Yeah. I like it. Well, that's it for Cozy Club. Be sure and DM us on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod or you can email us at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at We Don't Want to Grow Up exclamation point. You can come support our podcast on Patreon. We have some bonus episodes over there. It's patreon.com slash We Don't Want to Grow Up. And we're also on TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. Come follow us over there. I think that's all the ways you can reach us. It is. Our phone number is... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks for being here in our little faux spooky season episode. It was a lot of fun. I love it. Me too. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.